Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Prayer is an act of worship. Worship is, we know this, this is all, worship is an all-encompassing kind of a thing. Yes, it's singing songs. That's an aspect of worship, but that's not all of worship. We kind of, we kind of mix that up, right? We say, I like listening to worship music. We get what you're saying. It's songs about Jesus, right? Or hopefully they're about Jesus. I don't even know, some days. But that's, yes, that's a part of worship. But praying is a part of worship. It's a act of worship. Did you know that worship is much more than music? In today's message from Pastor James, he explains to you that there are many facets to worship. Prayer is a form of worship. Singing and playing instruments is another form of worship. Doing your work unto the Lord is an act of worship, and so is your tithe and offerings. Pastor James reiterates that worship is made up of all of these things, and God desires all of your worship. You were made to love and to serve the Lord who loves and has served you. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 11 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Adam and Eve, they had no nationality. They were made from dirt. Well, he was made from dirt, and then she was taken from his side. You get what I'm saying? And yeah, he did select the nation, the nation of Israel as his chosen people, and it's a beautiful story. It's an amazing story. There's a warning here for us as believers, Christians, where we become so ter- territorial. We're like, yeah, all people are welcome, just as long as you know your place. Don't mess up our stuff. Don't mess up what we got going on. We'll build our own walls, guys. We will build our own walls within churches. And we need to be careful about that. Because the ones who never fit in, who don't fit in with you and your circle, will always be the outsiders. And you'll always relegate those guys to where the cattle stay. This is also, uh, this courtyard of the Gentiles was also used as a shortcut for the pilgrims. People showing up to Jerusalem for Passover week, they would cut right through the court of Gentiles to get to where they're going. They specifically use that as their shortcut. There is no reverence for this place at all. Now, the Jews themselves would have never allowed that to happen in their spot. Oh, but you guys want to walk through the court of the Gentiles, you know, to carry all your luggage and all that? Yeah, do whatever. That's fine. That's fine. That place doesn't matter that much to us. This is what Jesus walked into. This is what he walked into three years prior to this story and cleaned house. And here he is again, the final week of his life. He shows back up to the house of God, and they have totally corrupted this thing. And it is, isn't it amazing that it doesn't take that long for what Jesus drives out to take up occupancy within our hearts again? Got to be cautious. Got to be aware. Lord Jesus, please examine me. Holy Spirit, examine me. If there's anything in me that shouldn't be there, please, Lord, make it known to me. Why? Why make it known to me? So I can repent, so I can own it and turn away from that and deal with it. He shows up and he's 
turn, he's driving out the ones who bought, the, bought, the ones who bought and the ones who sold, because both are guilty within this story. He's ushering them out of this area that was, should be occupied by the Gentiles. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, let me say this. The money changers are not bad, okay? The money changers are not bad. You needed money changers because there was a, you know, temple currency that was used. And you have different currencies that was circulating within Israel at this point in time. You needed money changers. They were actually pretty essential. Now, the rates of exchange always change and fluctuated, just like they do nowadays. If you go and, you know, exchange some money somewhere else, they, they would do that. But they also would manipulate that and drive up the percentage, especially during these holy, these high times, right, when Passover's going on, so they can gain as much money as possible. So they were crooks, but they were taking advantage of people. You needed them to be there, but they were taking advantage of people. And you also needed the animals to be there because you had people coming from all over Israel, and it would be just not reasonable to expect them to take their sacrifices, sometimes from the most northern part of Israel all the way down to Jerusalem. It made sense for there to be animals. They didn't have to be there. They did not have to be there. And the money changers did not have to be there. In fact, there were other offices for the money changers throughout Jerusalem. But what was it? It was convenience. It was convenience. It's catering to the people to make it more convenient so that you make more money. See, this isn't church. This is business. This is business. And these guys are businessmen. You don't want businessmen running churches. You want pastors running churches. You want shepherds running churches. Businessmen are not bad. But when we start to manipulate and we start to figure out how we can get more out of people, by making things more convenient for people, you can quickly go off, quickly. The animal places were there. There were places in Jerusalem where they could have gone to buy a sacrificial animal. They didn't need to be in the court of the Gentiles. The money changers were, already had offices. They didn't need to be, have tables set up, occupying space where Gentiles wanted to come and worship. The setting was all unnecessary. But again, the leaders of the temple were like, hey, who cares about those guys? Why don't you set up your place here? We'll take a percentage off of what you make, so then they have to drive up their prices so that they can share a percentage with the leaders. You see how it just, just one hand feeding the other, all that good stuff. It's like, and it's just gross. We're talking about worship. We're talking about worship. And they're just looking at how to nickel and dime people. That's, a, that's just a sad thing. It's a sad reality. And Jesus had every right to be upset. Every right to be upset. Because this, isn't, this is a crime. It's a crime. The, the one who, why did Mark you know, single out doves? Dove was the sacrifice for poor people. They were taking advantage of poor people. Ones who couldn't barely afford to worship 
in that sense of offering a sacrifice. This is the animal that Mary and Joseph offered up to dedicate Jesus at the temple. They were poor kids. And these guys had the audacity to take advantage of financial advantage of people who don't have any finances. That's disgusting. That's gross. That's why he drove out those who sold the doves. Verse 16 speaks of the power of Jesus. He would not allow anyone to carry wares. This is a type of currency, wares, through the temple. Like nobody could go through. Jesus just full on stopped everybody. He drove them all out by himself. By himself. This is probably a packed out market. By himself. And then once trying to sneak past them and all that stuff, they could not because, man, Jesus is too strong. He's too powerful. He put a stop to all the nonsense on this day. Sad reality is that the tables would go up probably the next day. But he's communicating something to these people that, yes, I am the Messiah, and yes, I do have zeal for my father's house. And yeah, I will clean house. I will clean house. I love that. I love that. I love that Jesus. Give me that Jesus. The one who will show up and say, you know what? If it's time to clean house, well, let's clean house. He's not, I mean, there's, there's nothing like he's not yelling at the people. He's not, there's nothing. He's in total control. Total control. But he's making sure what needs to be done is happening. Verse 17. Here's the the crazy part about it. Then he taught. He cleaned house. He cleared it out. And other gospel accounts would say that then from day to day, he showed up and he taught. He cleaned out the temple. And he's like, now I'm going to teach. Now I'm going to teach. And that would have been, what an amazing thing that would have been. Like, I, again, I always say, you know, put yourself into the story. Become one of those disciples with him. And you're like, oh, no. He's lost it again. He is, oh, he is making enemies. He is not making friends, right? And they're just watching Jesus single-handedly driving out people. And then he sits down and says, now listen to this. He opens up what? He opens up a scroll, the word of God. And he teaches these people from the word of God. Some within the audience would be ones who just had their money tables probably turned over if they didn't run away. Some within the audience would have been religious people who just lost a great deal of money because all their profits were knocked onto the floor by Jesus. And Jesus taught them saying, is it not written? Is it not written? And anytime he says that, what he's doing is like, let me show you in the Bible. Let me remind you of what you've already read. Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of Prayer. Prayer. He could have used, he could have used other, other words there. But the mention of prayer probably speaks to the importance of prayer in the house of God. Not my house shall be a house of worship. It is. Prayer is an act of worship. Worship is... We know this. this is all, worship is an all-encompassing kind of a thing. Yes, it's singing songs. That's an aspect of worship, but that's not all of worship. We kind of, we kind of mix that up. 
right? We say, I like listening to worship music. We get what you're saying. It's songs about Jesus, right? Or hopefully they're about Jesus. I don't even know some days. But that's, yes, that's a part of worship. But praying is a part of worship. It's an act of worship. When we show up and when guys show up here 9 o'clock to pray, worship is happening, or it better be happening. It's prayer. It's a serious thing. It's so serious that Jesus just used that one word to say, this is what my house is about. This is what it's about. This also should be an indicator of our lives and our relationship. If we are the temple, as the word says we are, what place does prayer have within our priority list? Because to Jesus, it's really important. My house, my temple will be a house of prayer. Am I a person of prayer? And if we are not people of prayer, then we better change that. Not out of fear, but maybe kind of, right? Maybe just a little bit, poquito fear, right? Just a little bit of fear, like, you better do something about that. Because he knows how to show up and say, all right, let's turn over some tables because something's not right. Prayer should be number one in our lives. And I'm not talking about like the thing where you roll out of bed with the groans and the grunts and all that good stuff, right? And then you hit your knees and hoping you can get back up or anything like that. I'm talking about like just actively communicating with your father throughout the day, openly, freely, at all times, praying without ceasing, as Paul would say. You have an open line of communication with your heavenly father. The, the, the curtain's been ripped. So let's talk to him as often as you. He never gets annoyed with you. He will never be annoyed with you. Even if you talk about yourself all the time, somehow God doesn't, still doesn't get annoyed with us. Maybe it's hoping that we grow up a little bit and talk, begin to you know, intercede on behalf of others a little bit more than ourselves, but we have free access to him. And what should have been happening within the temple was not happening. And Jesus says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? It's from Isaiah 56, verse 7. That's what Jesus is quoting there. It's the last part of that, that verse in Isaiah. For all nations, for all nations, church, worship, Prayer, Jesus, for all nations. For all nations. Nobody is excluded from this. And there's no right that we have to establish within the church community walls, so to speak, and, and kind of see who gets to come in and who doesn't and all this stuff. That's not what it's about. And even their courtyards that they had established, the courtyard for the Gentiles and all that good stuff, that was never his intention, Anybody from anywhere should have been able to, if they want to show up and worship God, they should have been able to show up and worship God and not be afraid of being robbed by religious people and discriminated against. This gets a little tricky because I know the day and age in which we live and we're like, well, well, hold on, hold on. What if this person shows up and all this stuff? Listen, then you share the gospel with this person and demonstrate the love of Jesus to that person. My goodness, like we've, again, it's this thing where it's like, we're here to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's going to be all kinds of people that want to come in through these doors and let them come. Let them come. 
our job is not to be bouncers at the doors of church. Our, door, our, our job is to be greeters at the doors of the church saying, come on in. Well, hold on. Tell me your story. Hey, last election, who'd you vote for? You blue or you red? You a donkey or an elephant, right? Oh, donkey, get out. We don't accept your kind here, right? That's, that's nonsense. Let them in. Let them in. Oh, you live this certain lifestyle? Oh, but you want to come to church and worship. Come on in. Let me tell you about Jesus. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. I think the Jews would establish some of these laws because, well, they didn't want the, the Gentiles to defile them. They didn't want them to defile them. And, and we live the same way sometimes, guys. We sometimes don't want certain people of the world to come in and to defile us. You're made right in Christ. You're, you're covered with his righteousness. You're going to walk through this world. Your feet are going to get dirty. Your feet are going to get dirty. And I hope you're interacting with people who don't even maybe agree with you on all points, but you're still willing to interact with them and hear from them their story and who they are and what they have going on. And then praying the whole time, Holy Spirit, give me an opportunity to share you with this person. Church is messy business. It's messy business. But man, I, I think Jesus said, man, he came and he, man, he pursued me. He found me. And I'm not the best candidate. I wasn't the best candidate. I had already disqualified myself concerning being worthy to worship him. But he came and found me. And I'm so grateful they didn't show up and be like, all right, so, you know, let's go through your past and all your sins and current sins and all this good stuff. He's like, look, you need to follow me. You need to follow me. I died for all that stuff. Past, present, and future. You need to follow me. He goes on to quote from Jeremiah 7, 11, um, you have made it a den of thieves. And this is a, a den of thieves. This is a hideout for criminals. That's technically what this says. I think it was G. Campbell Morgan who said that. The, the temple had become a hideout or a sanctuary for wrongdoers. And not like in a good way, but in a bad way, right? Like wrongdoers are welcome to come to church and hopefully they turn into right doers, right? That's the goal. That's what we want. Then to fall in love with Jesus, transform lives, all that good stuff. But if we ever start housing thieves and never expecting them to change, and allowing them to take advantage of people, that's wrong. That's wrong. And this is what he's saying. You've made it into a den of thieves. You've given these, place, these people space within the holy temple of God to rob people and take advantage of those. Verse 18, the scribes and the chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him. They're already plotting and planning, trying to figure out how do we get rid of this guy? Then they heard this, and this was the straw that broke the camel's back. This was it for them. Let's murder this guy. And lo and behold, one, one amongst the 12 was more than willing to provide them the way. And his name was Judas. As soon as Judas realized this guy isn't the Messiah I thought he was going to be, Satan began to work on Judas and planted that seed. It's happening in these moments. The betrayal would come a few days later. The seed was already planted. The seed was already planted. 
It says, all the people were astonished at his teaching. Why? Whoa, sorry, go back there. It says, they sought to destroy him, for they feared him, because he's gaining all this popularity and this, because he's actually, I mean, he's like a man, right? He's like, he's a, he's a man who teaches with authority. He's not quoting this scribe or that scribe. or He's quoting the word of God. He's teaching the word of God. And this intimidated them. And all the people were astonished at his teaching. And again, why? Because he taught the Bible. The Bible. That's what people need. The Bible. If I get up here and I just quote so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, I've wasted your time. I have wasted your time. I love stories. I wish I could share stories. I just really stink at it. That's why I don't use a lot of illustrations, because I'm really bad at it. But I'm trying to get better. But if I just gave you illustration after illustration, and this quote, and this quote, and this quote, I have done nothing for you. You can't even call that church. Not based on the scriptures. When Jesus showed up, Jesus cleaned house, Jesus opened up the word and says, this is what the Bible says. And, he, and that was it. And people were like, that's pretty awesome. We've, they're looking around at their other teachers like, what have you guys been doing? This, you guys are, you're like B squad. This is, he's like top notch. This is the guy, man. And he just teaches with authority. But that was it for the religious leaders. This was it. They were, they would go from this to plot and plan even more so to end this threat named Jesus. Verse 19, when evening had come, this is all one day, when evening had come, he went out of the city. And that's a good little bedtime story for you and your family, right? You're like, let me tell you a story. One day in the life of Jesus, the way he cursed a tree, a fig tree, that's gonna, that dies. Um, he was still hungry, went to the temple, cleaned out, cleared out all the, the crooks. And then he taught a Bible lesson. And then the religious leaders were like, let's kill this dude. And then he leaves and that's it. And then Tuesday will come and Tuesday will come. That's Jesus, man. That's, that's the one who died on the cross for you. That's the guy who not only died on the cross for you, but rose from the grave for you and your salvation and who is going to come back. But until then, he has left us with the Holy Spirit who is constantly inspecting this temple, seeing like, okay, what tables are you setting up today, James? What tables do we need to clear out of your heart today, James? Let's do some work. And I say, yes, please, because there's still a lot of work to be done inside this temple. Let him have access. Let him do what he wants. His plan and what his vision for you in the sanctification thing is far better than what you can imagine. Give him direct access. Say, you know what, Lord? Examine me. I, just, I just want to be a, a clean, usable vessel in the house of God. Use me, Lord, however you want to, however you want to. So gone are these characters of, you know, straight. How does he even get his hair straight? Jesus, long, straight hair, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. Maybe. I've seen blonde hair, blue-eyed people in Israel, and they're native um, Israelis. Could be true. It's straight hair, though. I don't get that. But that, that guy picking flowers in the fields and stuff, I like, nah, give me. He, that's cool. I get it. That's cool. But man, give me the guy who's boldly marching into Jerusalem knowing he's going to die and is willing to do whatever it takes to bring honor to his father. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken, broken.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me... Of you, babe.